Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Same yearning for freedom that nearly 250 years ago gave birth to a special place called America. It was a small cluster of colonies caught between a great ocean and a vast wilderness. It was home to an incredible people with a revolutionary idea that they could rule themselves, that they could chart their own destiny, and that together they could light up the entire world. Well, hello, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to Praying for America. We have our Right Side Broadcasting uh, audience. We have our Priests for Life audience. We have patriots, Christians from across the country. And it's so good to be with you. And I always look forward to these opportunities. And I want you to know that we, as we pray for America, we pray for you. So feel free to leave your prayer intentions in the comments. We always welcome... Not only your questions and comments, uh, but also uh, your efforts joined with ours to let other people know about this program. Because the more we can expand our, our audience, the more power of prayer we are bringing to bear on our nation. And the more change we can make as we spread clarity where there is confusion, as we spread ideas based on truth where there are simply ideas based on ideology, and as we spread love for the country instead of the hatred, which is all too common even among our own citizens. So we're going to go to the scriptures. We're going to pray. We're going to say some things about these confirmation hearings uh, for Judge Jackson to the Supreme Court. My goodness, some of the things that were said today, totally ridiculous and outrageous and uh, I want to reflect a little bit on what we what we can hope for from these confirmation hearings. And then I want to uh, do some scripture and and also talk about some of the uh, questions that have come in from some of you, our viewers. So let's begin uh, going here. We've been reading uh, actually somewhat from uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 40, uh, 45. Uh, but I want to move uh, move ahead a little bit um, uh, from here. Let's see, uh, going into Isaiah 49, the servant song of the prophet Isaiah. Hear me, O coastlands, listen, O distant peoples. The Lord called me from birth. From my mother's womb, he gave me my name. He made of me a sharp-edged sword and concealed me in the shadow of his arm. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me. You are my servant, he said to me, Israel, through whom I show my glory. Though I thought I had toiled in vain and for nothing uselessly spent my strength, yet my reward is with the Lord, my recompense is with my God. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, that you have given us a call from the womb. 
from the time you first mysteriously fashioned us in secret in the womb as an unborn child, you had a vocation for us. You had a name for us. You had a mission for us. And we thank you, Lord, that as the days and years go by, we are able to fulfill that mission in union with all our brothers and sisters in the context of living in a great country where we can make dreams come true. Thank you, Father, for these various dimensions of our vocation. Thank you for making us, as a people, a light for the nations. Bless us as we continue to pray and work for the greatness of America. We pray through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So you are my servant, the Lord says here through the prophet, through whom I show my glory. That's not just true of us as individuals, if we are a good example of faith and service. This is true of us as a people. It's true of us as a church. We are the light to the nations. It's true of us as the body of Christ, and it's also true of us as a nation because we are living in a nation that is defined not primarily by geography or ethnicity. It's defined by principles. It's defined by the concept of ordered liberty. It's defined by those those self-evident truths and unalienable rights of which our declaration speaks. That defines us as a light to the nations. And isn't that true as verified by our history that people from all over the world come here more than to any other place? There's a reason. The idea is clear. The torch is bright and it is held high that torch of freedom and of the clear concept of liberty that our founders laid out for us. And not just that the founders laid out, but that so many people since then have fought for, you and I included. Now, brothers and sisters, the things that are going on today, today specifically with these hearings in the U.S. Senate for uh, Judge Jackson, who's been... uh, appointed by the Brandon administration to go on the Supreme Court. Very bad idea. Very bad selection. But we didn't need to know her name before we could say it was going to be a bad selection because the problem here is inherent in the philosophy of the party itself. The Democrat platform, you look at the judicial philosophy, it's bad. It's bad. Oh, we have to make the court look like America. No, we got to make the court look like the Constitution. We have to have a, an African-American woman on the court. Not enough, of course, that we have an African-American man on the court for decades. Not enough that we have several women on the court for a long time now. No, no. It's got to be an African-American woman. And that's not to say that if you look at a person's qualifications, that you're not going to find African-American women who can fit those qualifications. Of course you can. There are many all across the country. The problem is leading with that idea as the criterion and and essentially saying to the rest of the American public, nobody else need apply. Is, 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 is Is the administration trying to say nobody else 
in any kind with any kind of background is qualified to be on the court? Or are they trying to say that those qualifications don't matter? Which is it? Well, we're going to put an African-American woman on the court. Okay, so then in the name of diversity and in the name of making the court look like America, where is the LGBTQ justice of the Supreme Court? Where is the Hispanic male on the Supreme Court? Where is the Native American on the Supreme Court. I mean, how how far can this possibly go? You have nine justices on the court. So is the left going to make the idea that we have to have somehow a representation of every single group under the sun on the Supreme Court, are they going to make that now into a reason for packing the court, for expanding the court? I mean, how far do you expand it? How many people do you need to represent every ethnic group uh, or, or, or every self-defined group in America? Oh, we want the diversity. Where is this going? Where does this lead? It leads to complete and total chaos and confusion is where it leads. Brothers and sisters, we have to get back to sanity here. I told you the other day about what... Uh, I heard Senator Rubio say the other night at a gathering I was at with him. He said, this is, this is a, the battle in our country now is between common sense and insanity. And, 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 you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of analysis or thinking. You just got to sit back and reflect for just for a minute or two. And you see how insane so much of this stuff is. But this judge was asked uh, today, Senator John Kennedy, you know, you can always count on him for some interesting questions and, and also for some comic relief. But he said, uh, do you know when life begins? When does life begin, in your opinion? And she said, at least she was honest, she said, I don't know. Now, actually, that's what the Supreme Court said, too, back in 1973, when it issued the Roe versus Wade decision legalizing abortion because it said it is beyond the competence of the Supreme Court to answer the question of when human life begins. Listen, a grade school student can answer the question simply by looking it up. Follow the science. Oh, we hear that, don't we, all around us these days? Follow the science. Of course, of course the left doesn't know what science is because they don't know what truth is. You deny truth. See, here's the problem that the left, one of the <laughs> numerous problems, that the left faces as they hit their, their heads right up against their, their own ideology and, and tumble and fall in the process. As soon as you deny truth, you've denied science. You see, they like to say follow the science, except that there is no science if there is no truth. They want to make up truth for themselves. They do it all the time, and they say so. Your truth is not my truth, is not his truth, is not her truth. Well, if you're going to go down that road, then stop talking about science, because there is no such thing. Science, for those of us who believe in truth, is simply the truth about the structure and workings of the physical universe. Observable, measurable, and therefore patterns are discoverable, and the nature of things is identifiable. That's how you have science. 
You do experiments, you get microscopes, you get telescopes, you get you do analysis, you 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 go into the laws of physics and you go into the laws of the of the atoms and the electrons and the protons and the neutrons. You remember all that from science in school? Science is talking about what's there on the outside, independent of your own thoughts, your own opinions, your own ideologies, your own feelings, your own truth. It's not your own truth. It's what's the, what are those protons and neutrons and electrons doing? What's gravity doing? What's the biological development of, of the human being or of any other species doing? What is out there objectively so that you have science? How can how can a, a, a surgeon? I had surgery last year. You remember, and I appreciate your prayers. By the way, I'm completely back to normal uh, after that heart surgery that I had last year. But you know, you think about it, and you say, "Well, gee, nobody ever opened me up before. How do they know what they're going to find when they go in there if they never did it before?" The fact is that they did it on a lot of other human beings, and there's a good reason to think that they're going to see basically the same kind of thing that they've seen when they've opened up any number of other human beings. This is science. There's a certain reliability to our perception of a truth which is independent of any of us individually, but which shows a pattern in nature. Follow the science. Yeah, right. Except that when you throw truth out the window, you can't do that anymore. You can't follow anything but yourself. And so that leads Judge Jackson to sit there before Senator John Kennedy and the rest of the country, for that matter, and to say, in answer to a question about basic science that you learn in grade school, enables her to say, with all seriousness, I don't know. What do you mean, I don't know? Well, what do you actually mean by that? That you've never searched for anything on the internet? Is that what you mean? Because you could search it and you can find an answer. Well, what does I don't know actually mean? Does it mean you don't understand the question? What is it that you don't know? What the word life means? What the word begin means? What is it that you don't know? Is it that you've never heard of embryology? Well, embryology, well, come to think of it, that's a part of science. So if there's no science, there's no embryology. If there's no embryology, then there's no answer to the question of when life begins. But the fact of the matter is, there is embryology because there is science, because there is truth, and it's known. It's been known to us for a long time. And when you look at what embryologists say about the question of when does life begin, you see that there's an answer. Now, when does life begin? When that question is asked, the usual context for it is the beginning of your individual human life. I didn't always exist. You didn't always exist. There was a time when we did not exist. When our country was founded, for example. There's no one living today who was living at the time our country was founded. We think about, we talk about a lot, the founders, you know, we read the Constitution, we see the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. None of us were around on July 4th, 1776. We're all inheriting this, this information from the past, right? Okay, 
So if we weren't around on July 4th, 1776, when did we start coming around? When did we start existing? So the question, when does life begin? It's a question that's very personal to each one of us. And by the way, we all celebrate a birthday. So there's something there, right? Something happened to give us our age. Why? How is it that you're whatever age you are and that I'm my age? How is that? Why do we celebrate a birthday? Something started. Something began at some point that we can measure. So the question of when does life begin is a question of when did your or my individual human life begin? Not life in general. We know life has been around since the beginning of, of, uh, of creation. God made the world and then he made living beings. Ever since the time he made human, uh, made uh, living beings, they've been around. So life in that sense, you have this continuum of life. But that's not what we're talking about when we ask this question. We're talking about when does a human life begin? When does an individual human, human organism start? Well, science has an answer to that. It's the process of fertilization. It's the, it's the parents coming together and then the genetic material combining to make an organism, one unified organism of the same chromosomal, chromosomal makeup, 46 chromosomes in the human species, and then with all unique genetic characteristics to that one individual beginning to grow in such a way that those unique genetic characteristics determined by the process of fertilization, remain throughout the lifespan of that organism. In other words, the, all the genetic characteristics that you and I have, color of your eyes, for example, when was that determined? Was that determined when you were five years old? Was that determined last year? Was that determined at birth? It wasn't even determined at birth. It was determined nine months before that when you and I started living in our mother's womb. This is science. This is not opinion. This is not something we're making up. This is verifiable science. When does life begin? Oh, Senator, oh, I don't know. What are you, an idiot? I don't know. What are you trying to, what are you playing games? I mean, I'm, I'm honestly asking, brothers and sisters, what in the world is going on here? How can somebody who wants to, to have the respect of being considered for the United States Supreme Court, sit on national television. I mean, how is this even possible? To can sit in, 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 on national television and say, I don't know, to a question that a grade school student can answer. I mean, we should all be offended by this. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is bizarre. It's just bizarre. But I'll tell you why it's happening. Because unless she says, I don't know, the abortion industry collapses. Think about this. Unless she maintains the fantasy that this is an open question, and that is a fantasy, unless she maintains the, 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 the lie that this is up for grabs, you know what? It's whatever anybody wants to think it is. Unless that pretense is maintained, 
the abortion industry collapses. Because if you acknowledge, if you follow the science, hey, all you folks out on the left out there, do you recognize those words? If you follow them, boy, are you in trouble. Because now you admit that you support an industry that kills a million human lives just in the United States alone every year. A million human lives a year because those lives already began at fertilization. Don't listen to me about that. Open up the embryology textbooks. So that's what's going on here. She was asked a number of other questions that she apparently doesn't know. When when constitutional protections attach to a human life, yeah, of course, who knows? Nobody knows. Oh, I'm going to defend the Constitution, all right. By the way, how can somebody defend the Constitution who who, who believes that it's racist? This is a woman who who has a lot of uh, 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 admiration for the the 1619 project and this whole critical race theory. You know, America's you know it's rooted in racism. You know, our Constitution is a racist document. Well, then you get as far away as you possibly can from any position in which you're going to be responsible for defending that constitution. Run. Run away in the opposite direction. Get far, far away from any kind of position in which you are entrusted with the care of that constitution the defense of that Constitution, the representation of the Constitution. In fact, not only should she not be on the Supreme Court, she should resign from the court that she's on right now. And so should every judge on every court across this country who does not respect the Constitution for the marvelous, inspired document that it is, the wisdom in that document, the mechanism by which it preserves what is stated in the Declaration, which is that we have certain fundamental rights given to us by God and that government exists to secure those rights. So you see, the Declaration lays out the, the principle, government exists to secure these rights given by God, and then the Constitution answers the question, well, how do you secure them? What's the mechanism? What's the day-to-day operation of the government that exists to secure those rights? Declaration lays out the principle that those in governance can govern only with the consent of the governed. Okay, so that's the principle. It's clear enough. It's a nice idea, if you ask me. How do you make that happen? How do the governed give their consent? Or take it away if necessary? Well, there's where the Constitution comes in. What's the mechanism by which these principles laid out in the Declaration can actually work from day to day? Anyone who does not respect that Constitution as a document which can work for us today, just like it has worked for the over two, almost two and a half now, centuries of our history, doesn't belong anywhere near a courtroom. That that shouldn't be wearing any kind of justice's robes by any stretch of the imagination. Go away! You see, here's here's what we can hope for in this nomination process. We, We know, you know, the Democrats... You know, they, they well, you know, they don't really have any kind of a strong majority. They've got a functional majority, you might say. The Senate is split half and half, right? But in, a, in the event of a tie, the tie-breaking vote is cast by the vice president, which, by the way, what's her name? 
Did you, have you been seeing, have you been following the absolute blundering, I don't even know what to call it anymore, stuff coming from this woman's mouth? I mean, I, I, I'm just, you know, you don't know what to do. Do you laugh? Do you laugh like crazy? Do you cry? Do you pull your hair out? Do you run away? Do you put your face in your hands? Maybe you do all those things at once as, a, as an appropriate reaction to what this woman has been saying and doing. What is going on here? I don't even know what's going on here. So it's really bad. Whatever it is, it's, it's pretty bad. But the point is that she casts the, the tie-breaking vote in the United States Senate. So, you know what we got to hope for? I mean, we sent out an action alert uh, to our people uh, on our Priest for Life list saying that, uh, you know, call your senators. Tell them to vote against, uh, to vote against this, this, this nominee. And um, because the principles, the ju- judicial philosophy is not what we need on the court. All right, that's, the, that's the issue here. It's the judicial philosophy. And, uh, and uh, the, the more pressure that we can show to the senators, you know, we don't pressure the judges or the justices. That's not how the courts work. We go to the lawmakers. That's where the people are represented, our views are represented, and they're elected based on their views that they propose in turn to us, and they make certain promises, et cetera. So it's, it's perfectly legitimate that we go to them the elected lawmakers and say, hey, we, 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 here's how we think. We want you to do this this way and do this other thing that way. So to say to them, you know, please do not confirm this nominee is perfectly appropriate. And we tell them why. If we got a 50-50 vote here, in other words, you know, it, 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 it's, it's not a surprise if all the Democrats vote for the Democrat nominee. Maybe if something is extreme enough, someone like Senator Manchin or Senator Sinema maybe might say, no, I can't, I can't go so far as to support this nominee, but who knows? Let's say it's a 50-50 vote. If we can get all the Republicans to reject the nomination, this would send a strong message to America because even though the vice president would then break the tie, it would be the first time in American history that that had to happen for a Supreme Court justice. Now, ever since the confirmation process of Clarence Thomas, you know, we've been seeing a lot of very, very close, very, very close votes in the uh, confirmation process. Not always. I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, despite the fact that people uh, in the Republican uh, Party knew that her ideology was very, very far to the left. What was her confirmation, like 90, 96 to 3, something like that? I mean, you, you, we're talking about a, a very, very uh, lopsided vote. And, and you know, a lot of the Supreme Court justices uh, were confirmed by those very, very large margins. But in more recent years... Like I say, beginning, you start to see this with Robert Bork, Clarence Thomas. You start to see these more evenly divided votes, but it's never been 50-50. Let's make history here. Let's, let's have something happen where people are really going to take notice that, you know, there really is a split here in this Senate, in this country. Why? Why so much opposition? 
why a Supreme Court justice just is able to squeak by via a tie-breaking vote by the vice president, why? It's a teachable moment, why? Because you can't have, um, we can't continue to have such a politicized court. We can't continue to have uh, appointments being made to the bench. Because what's happening here with the Supreme Court is also then a lesson for all the other courts. We can't keep having appointments that represent judicial philosophies that are nothing more than politics dressed up in black robes. We can't do that. We've got to get back to a judicial philosophy that says, I am not here to decide on cases based on my own opinions. I am here to decide on cases in the light of the Constitution that has an original discernible meaning reflected in its text, its structure, its history, not something that we just take whatever ideas we want to implement for social change and slap the ideas on it or slap on it the words, this is constitutional, or invent rights that aren't there, like abortion. And, and, and so it's a teaching moment. The, the, the fullness of the question before us right now with these confirmation hearings is not simply, will this justice be confirmed? That's not the fullness of the, of the issue. The fullness of the issue is what are we, what are the American people thinking about uh, the role of the justice, the role of the court? Where are we going with our judicial philosophy? Okay. Well, friends, my um, recommended action to you uh, today for this program is follow the rest of these hearings uh, and follow the conservative commentary that you will find uh, about what's going on with these hearings. Listen to people like like Senator Kennedy, Senator Cruz, uh, Senator Hawley. There'll be a lot of good commentary coming out in these uh, in these days, as well as your favorite conservative commentators, because it is a teachable moment. It is a big, very big moment for our country. Anytime we put somebody on the Supreme Court, and we've got to uh, be able to explain the lessons of this to our children and to our grandchildren. Well, I think that's good enough for tonight. I have other things, but we can save them for tomorrow in terms of answering some other questions and giving you some other thoughts. But let's turn back to prayer now. Let's cover this whole process with prayer, my friends, as we pray for America. Lord, we pray for America tonight. We pray for our courts. We pray for the justices already on the Supreme Court. We pray for the judges on all the other courts. We pray for the U.S. senators, Lord. The Constitution gives them the sacred obligation to give advice and consent when a judge is nominated for the court. Lord, help them advise wisely in deciding whether they want to consent Give them wisdom. Help them to see, Lord God, that this is not a matter of politics, nor should it be a matter of ideology. This is a matter of defending the Constitution, which is a gift, not an expression of racism, which is something positive, not something negative, which is something that has a meaning, not some kind of a, of a vessel in which we put whatever meaning we want. Lord, give the senators that wisdom and help them listen to the voice of the people they, they represent. And help the people, Lord God, send your spirit on the people they represent to raise their voices, 
to speak into this process, to let their senators know where they stand, and to make this a truly historic and teaching moment for America. Bless the process, Lord. Bless our fellow citizens. Bless us. And Lord, as we pray for the courts and we pray for the Senate and as we pray for this process and as we pray for America, Lord God, we ask you, hear all our other prayers. Look kindly on all our other needs, on the wounds that need to be healed, the decisions that need to be made, the the loved ones that need to be protected. Lord God, the financial problems or the relationship problems that need to be solved. Lord, the health issues that we face. Send your grace upon all of us and our families and our needs. And summing up all our prayers and praises, we offer the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, friends. Great to be with you. Spread the word about our program. Follow us on social media. I'm at FR Frank Pavone, as you can see on the screen. Right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. Let's stay connected. Let's stay encouraged. And we will talk to you tomorrow. I think we have Richard Lee. We have uh, Jim Garlow. And we have Father Frank Pavone. Someplace there in the audience. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Follow him, Father Frank Pavone, F.R. Frank Pavone, on Twitter. He is the National Director of Priests for Life. Please go to priestsforlife.org. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.